1: Hello and welcome to Smart People Podcast, conversations that satisfy your curious mind. Chris Stemp here, thanks for joining us. I am so excited to bring you this interview with Anne Lair. Anne is an internationally sought-after keynote speaker, writer, consultant, and trainer. She helps leaders in large organizations connect today's everyday decisions to the future workplace. But simply, her end goal is to help organizations retain their top talent and not only survive, but thrive. Anne's got a great story. She actually started off in the hospitality industry. She moved to different parts of the world, including Africa, where she started a hotel chain and sold it. She started another company and sold it. But you'll notice in this interview, she doesn't really focus on that. And it's really all about, hey, I'm enjoying this. I want to help out your listeners in any way I can. And I believe through all my experience, that's the sign of a true expert, a true smart person, and a really genuine person. I actually met Anne just a few days ago through a friend, and I started talking to her about all she's doing and said, this is incredible. I want to learn more. I know our listeners will. And there's some great things you can pick up here, especially at the end. Make sure you get to the part where you hear the, what would that look like? I'm not going to go into it too much more. So please enjoy this interview with Anne Lair. You can find her at annelayer.com, which is A-N-N-E-L-O-E-H-R.com. She's also got a few books out there. We'll link to those at smartpeoplepodcast.com. Let us know what you think. We are at smartpeoplepod on Twitter, and we always appreciate any reviews you can leave for us on iTunes. Thanks again for listening. Tell a friend and enjoy the episode. All right, Anne, first, thank you so much for being on the show. I'm, I'm very excited to talk to you today.
2: Thank you, Chris. I'm excited to be here.
1: And, you know, we were just catching up uh, for, for listeners out there. Ann and I just met, I don't know, what was it, a few days ago? Yeah, two days ago. You know, introduced by, funny enough, uh, the person who introduced us was a listener of the show who emailed me and said, hey, I'm local. Here's what I do. And that's how I know him. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> Yeah. Small world, small world and many successful people, yourself included. But where I wanted to start was, you know, we're just talking here. And you said, look, Chris, uh, there's not really a lot of things I want to promote. I'm sure it'll come up in the course of this conversation. But I want to do this conversation and be of service. And that is authenticity, which I am all about. Why does that message even come out of your mouth? Because it doesn't come out of a lot of people's mouths.
2: So to be of service is one of my values, and I'm really big on values and people knowing what their values are and and living by their values. And so to be of service means to help whoever is around and support whoever is around, whether it's the grocery store clerk, the mail carrier, my daughter, uh, because it's our job, in my view, to really help people be better. My purpose statement is to help others soar beyond their horizon. That's what I live by. And every day I check in, Chris, and I say, did I help someone soar beyond their horizons today? And if I did, great. And if I didn't, got to do better tomorrow. And, and to me, that's being of service to help others. No matter how it looks, two inches, one inch, half an inch, did they move forward, then I can go to sleep and know I had a, a good day.
1: So... You want to help people, and I understand that. It's why I got into the, the industry that I'm in and where I want to go. But you've also been extremely successful, and we're going to get into all that you do and all that you've done. But do you ever run into this, this mental block that I want to be of service, therefore I can't turn it into a lucrative business?
2: I want to be of service, but I can't turn it into a lucrative business.
1: Does that make I- any sense?
2: No, actually, it doesn't, Chris.
1: <laughs> okay, no, no, no. Here's, here's why I love this, because this is all about mindset. So I'm going to take it from myself, other coaches that I know, um, social entrepreneurs. They say, look, I find it really difficult to juggle this balance of I want to put others first, you know, give as much as you can and you'll receive that, that type message. But at the same time, then they have problems or a mental block charging for that service. Because if you really want to make people great, you could do it for free, give them the message and keep their wallets a little more plump.
2: I get the point now. Um, No. And I think a lot of that comes down to, as you said, authenticity. I think it also comes down to self-esteem and valuing yourself. I know that I give value to people, whether they're paying me or not. Uh, I know that I can help them think a little bit differently. I can help them move an inch a little bit differently. And so I come from a place of service, but I also come from a place of, I know I add value. And so sometimes I may ask you to pay for that value and sometimes I may not. Um, But I think that comes from that place of saying, here's my story. Here's who I am. Here's how I got here. And there's probably some nugget along the way that's going to help you get to where you want to go.
1: I love that. So I want to talk about your background here in a minute, but let's do it in reverse order. What are you doing today? If I had, to, if, if somebody's saying, okay, great, I like her message thus far, but what is she doing? Why should I even listen to her? Give me a little professional background here.
2: Uh, so professional background at a very high level is I help people be leaders. I, I tell my 10 year old daughter, I say, I help adults and grown-ups learn how to lead other people whether it is your place of worship, whether it is your community, whether it is a nonprofit, a for-profit, a government. I, through many different tools and my team, help you be a better person and therefore a better leader. And that's what I do, whether it's writing books, writing articles, coaching, facilitating, anything around that. My goal is that I help that person today somehow lead the family, lead the community, lead the cause that they're going for a little bit better a little bit brighter that's that's where i live
1: tell me about in your you know in doing all of these things which many entrepreneurs do many people who want to be of service or the passionate ones out there which make up the vast majority if not all of our listeners sometimes tend to feel overwhelmed given the the size of what they want to give and what they want to do and their aspirations And I know with you, I mean, just if you go to your website, you know, you have six blocks. Here are the services we do. Speak, train, coach, consult, online center, books and resources, right? There's a lot there. And I've been through it. You have a lot of great content. How do you deal with the, you know, is it overwhelm? Is it the multifaceted approach to your business? The, you know, it's not just a go sit there. You know what your job is. You know, your title is. How do you deal with that?
2: So I'm going to answer that in two ways. I'm going to answer it kind of at a big level and then at a small level. So at a big level, I learned very early on through someone, embarrassingly enough, I do not remember who it was. It was a cold call to someone that I made in Canada. And I was studying their business and I wanted to learn how that I did their business. And I said, how do you do this? And they said, basically, it's a triangle. They said, basically, we write, we speak, and we coach or consult. And those three feed each other in terms of the business model. That also suits my personality in terms of I like to do lots of things. So I'll write for a little bit and then I'll coach for a little bit and I'll speak for a little bit throughout the year. It's never perfect. It's an ebb and a flow. Some months I'm only speaking, some months I'm only writing. But that model really helps me think about how do I get the message out. At the micro level, as I started this and as I say to others, start very, very small. If you want to be a coach or if you want to be a business leader or if you want to be a startup, start very small and chunk it down into step by step by step. I got to six products that you just listed on my website after many years of putting it together. I didn't start that way. So I'm a big fan of figuring out the purpose, the vision, and then chunking it down little by little, steps by steps. It's called the progress principle. Teresa Amiabola up at Harvard has it, and it really helps people who have a lot of passion, who have a lot of ideas, just go, focus, move one step, go, focus, move to the next step.
1: Progress principle. I am. I've I've written that down, double underline, and started because Great. I I feel like. The prototypical, oh my gosh! I have so much great stuff to do. I'm so excited. You know, I'm not grinding in a cubicle, so I'm going to make all these things happen. And there is definitely a, you know, a paralyzing effect of that. I'm looking forward to that. The other thing I want to I want to cover is what would you say to somebody out there who's going, "Wow, this sounds great!" Like Anne does all of this amazing stuff, and that's actually what I want to do because a lot of people are intrigued by this. This idea of speaking, coaching, training, uh, consulting aspect, it's, it's definitely something that resonates with our audience. Um, but then they say, well, how can I do it if there's already successful folks like Ann out there? And there's a lot of them. <laughs>
2: um, so you do it little by little. You pick what you want to do first. So I started off as a coach. Then I started doing workshops. Then I started writing then I started doing keynotes and, and speaking at a national, international level. So that's, again, the progress principle, little by little by little. And to get to the bigger question of, you know, but there's already a lot of people out there. Maybe I shouldn't go there because there's too much competition. My answer is no. My answer is we need people's voices. We need people's experience. Leadership is messy, Chris. It's complex because people are complex. There's not one formula for how to be a leader, how to coach, how to write, how to speak. And there is such diversity in this country and in the world. We learn things differently. We hear things differently. So I may have the exact same message as you do, Chris, but the way you deliver it resonates differently with someone else than the way I deliver it. And if our job is to touch people and to create change and to spark innovation, then we all need to use our voices so that we can make sure that the message is heard, whatever the message is, in different ways so that all the diversity of people and how they learn and how they see the world can get up and actually do
1: something. I couldn't agree with you more. Let's talk about, now, now that we've covered that end, and we're going to get back to, just so the listeners know, we're going to talk a little bit about leadership, leadership, We're going to talk about, I'd love to talk about your online learning center and some of the ways you do coaching, um, because we discussed it a little bit yesterday and I find it fascinating, um, and, and actually very unique. I haven't heard of it before, but first one of the most fascinating parts is your background. You started in hospitality. You've come a long way since then and long way. I don't mean necessarily you were in the wrong place, but that is quite a different, uh, background. So tell us about that. What did you do, and why, and how did you transition?
2: So I am the youngest of eight kids. Uh, We're an Irish Catholic family. We grew up in Ithaca, New York. Our names were Daniel Patrick, Mary Colleen, and Maureen, so you get the idea. (laughs) And uh, there are eight kids in 11 years, and I'm the youngest. And so my mom, when I was in second grade— uh, started to go to work. It was the first time women are we going back into the workforce, and she used to actually pay me, Chris, to cook dinners, and she would pay me to cook desserts for the whole family. I certainly didn't do it all at second grade. She would set a lot of it up, but that's really how I started to get into the whole idea of service and food is love and helping people and creating community around a table, that kind of thing. Fast forward after that, I decided I want to be a chef, so I actually went to culinary school. But before that, I actually went to Cornell for a year and a half and dropped out in the middle of my third semester. And so I jokingly say I'm an Ivy School dropout because Mm -hmm. I realized I did not want to be there. I wanted to be a chef. I wanted to be working with people. So I went to culinary school, had a great time, two years, traveled around the world, learned all kinds of things. I specialized in pastries. I did all those big sponge sugar windows and all that kind of thing. Oh, wow. And then I realized my mom and dad were right. I did not want to be a chef for the rest of my life. It is very hard work, although I loved the creativity. And so I went back to Cornell, and I went to the what's called the hotel school to study hospitality, restaurants, hotels, tourism, that kind of thing, and fell in love with it. And what I loved was I loved the, the talent of the people. I loved the creativity. I loved the business side. And that's really where I realized this is what I want to be. At the time, I thought it was just about the, the buildings and the tourists and that kind of thing. And what I realized later on, it, it was really just about the talent and developing talent and finding potential in people that they could be whatever they wanted to be. So that's how I started the beginning of hospitality. And from there, moved to East Africa, had a small safari company, sold that, had a small hotel company, sold that, and then moved back to the States 10 years ago. And here I am out of hospitality. I love it, but never want to be back of house again, in a kitchen <laughs> again. And, um, and people said, well, what are you going to do with the rest of your life? And I'm like, I'm, I'm not really sure. And they said, well, why don't you do what you did, as in developing people, I had over 500 staff, developing ideas, but you're just not the owner anymore. Do it as an external, go in and help people. And I said, oh, that's perfect. And so that's how I got where I am now.
1: And it just and goes to show you don't have you don't to know where you're going to get started. I I, I, I loved I just loved learning about your background because a lot of people see something like uh, being a chef or culinary school as that is, wow, you, you did it, right? Like you took something you were passionate about that didn't necessarily have a uh, future of wealth and you did it. But what's funny is you did it, you kind of realized what you liked about it and what you didn't, and use that as a jumping off to the next thing and the next thing.
2: And I think that's the way that it's going to be in the future. I think that when people say, oh, we're going to have a long career, I disagree with that. I think with globalization and technology and diversity and remote work, I mean, people can work anywhere in the world now as long as they're hooked up to technology. I think that we're going to see more and more of that. For me, the common thread is people and talent development. I didn't know that language when I started out, but for me, that's the common thread. And I think if people look at their history, they will find some kind of common thread there within their careers, within the jobs that they have done.
1: Do you have any advice to the person who is saying, that that sounds great, but I don't know what that common thread is?
2: I wouldn't worry about it. I really would not worry about it. I did not know that common thread until recently. Mm -hmm. Um, What I do say is to say yes and figure it out later. Mm -hmm. And I truly mean that. Um, I think in general, uh, people, especially women, tend to make sure everything is perfect and everything is right before they'll actually say yes. And I really encourage people to just say yes and figure it out. I'll, I'll tell you a story. Someone actually dared me to write my first book. I had no idea how to write a book. I hadn't even written an article. And someone dared me. They said, if, if you can find a publisher, I'll help write it with you. I'll be your co-author. I'm like, huh, how hard can it be, right? And I said, yes. And then I figured out later by going to my network. And I contacted everybody I knew, Chris. I said, if anybody's written a book, knows anybody who's written a book, knows what a publisher is, anything, please let me know. And I created this whole little database spreadsheet and I just went down the list one by one by one to figure it all out, and I figured it out. If I had waited for the right formula, for the right moment, it never would have happened. So if you don't know the thread, totally fine. And if something lands in your lap and you think it's really something that you feel passionate about, say yes, and figure it out later. Now, I want to be clear, I don't mean leave your job tomorrow Mm. and go start a business, But if it's something small and you can move it forward, that's going to help you find your thread.
1: Now, let's take a break for a message from our sponsor this week, who is brand new and absolutely incredible for this specific podcast. And that sponsor is The Great Courses. Like so many of you, our love of learning obviously didn't stop when we finished school. That's why we created this podcast to kind of discover new things, branch out and see where it takes us. Well, imagine all of that in video form with experts at your fingertips all the time, any device. That's what the Great Courses Plus video learning service is. You can learn anything that interests you with unlimited access to thousands of the Great Courses lecture series on many fascinating topics. And you know we love experts. They're taught by top professors from around the world. Now, we really want you to try the Great Courses Plus. And they're giving our listeners a special chance to watch hundreds of their courses absolutely free. I just recently started watching myself and I dove into this course called The Inexplicable Universe, Unsolved Mysteries. It's presented by the well-respected astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson. I'm sure you heard of him. And it's just so crazy. It explores some of the universe's biggest mysteries in a really engaging and fascinating manner. And that's just one of them. With The Great Courses Plus, you can watch as many different lectures as you want anytime, anywhere. So give it a shot. You have nothing to lose and absolutely all the knowledge in the world to gain. To start your free trial today, sign up now at thegreatcoursesplus.com slash smart people. Again, it's kind of long. Four words here. The, got to put the on there, thegreatcoursesplus.com slash smart people. Make sure you use that link so that they know we sent you and they'll see how much our audience wants to soak up this knowledge. Thegreatcoursesplus.com slash smart people. Now back to our show. I love it. Actually, it reminds me of a recent guest we had on and we're doing a webinar with him very soon after this episode airs. His name's Patrick McGinnis and his book is The 10% Entrepreneur. And his message is, you know, really... Most entrepreneurs and most businesses are started while somebody has a little bit of a safety net behind them. So they're at a company working on something on the side. That's their 10% entrepreneur. And then it grows into or can grow into a full gig, a full job without a lot of that really life destroying stress that can come along with just putting all your eggs in that basket.
2: Love that concept. And that's the same kind of say yes and if you think you might want to, you know, write or be a speaker and someone invites you to speak at your place of worship or your community center, say yes, even though you've never done it before, Mm. and then you'll figure it out later. And then you'll see if that's maybe where you want to go down the
1: road. That's great. Well, let's get into now what you're doing. Again, there's many facets. What do most companies, assuming that you work primarily with companies, organizations, businesses, what do they bring you in to do? Like, like What do they say? They say, you know what, we need and because of blank. Is there a commonality there?
2: Uh, the commonality is generally around diversity and working with diversity in terms of how people learn, how people work together, that kind of thing. Um, or it's, you know, we have a problem child, right? I get that a lot. Oh, we got a problem child. Can you fix our problem child? And I always like, no.
1: I was going to say, if you can, <laughs> let's just talk about that because I know there's people out there wondering. Yes.
2: <laughs> well, and often it's not really a problem child. Often it's the organizational system which is causing the friction. Mm. Um, but it's something around that. It's around the talent. It's around the leadership. It's around the people that people are trying to figure out. And then they say, hey, can you help with... They often don't know what it is. They often just bring me the problem. Mm-hmm. And then I say, oh, so what you're really looking for is this. And they're like, oh yeah, that's what we're looking for.
1: And that's why a lot of your work deals with leaders and leadership training because leaders are the ones that have to figure out the the solution to said problem child.
2: Exactly. Right. Or if it's a problem team or a right. problem department or even a problem product, the product people say, oh, well, you don't, you don't deal with products. You don't deal with R&D. I'm like, no, but people make products. So let's yeah. look at the people who are making the product.
1: That's really, it's fascinating. I, you know, I talk a lot on culture. That's one of the things that I, I teach through Franklin Covey. And one of the first things I highlight is like, your culture is the sum of your individuals. So let's not just just say, oh, we can change it without looking at one person at a time. And it's so funny how we tend to kind of look over it and make things this overarching goal when organizations, businesses, everything is made up of unique individuals.
2: Exactly. Exactly.
1: Well, and I know you've worked with a lot of extremely well-known organizations. So let's talk about, you know, when you go in and say you're doing some leadership training, I'm trying to, you know, we have a lot of uh, business leaders that listen to this show um, and they, they come, look, we're in a very complicated workforce, right? With Uh, As you mentioned, diversity in terms of ethnicities and backgrounds and training and and experiences, but also globalization and uh, being dispersed and all that. Let's let's focus on creating teams, creating uh, teams that work well together, because I know that's something you do. What are some of the key uh, aspects in creating a strong team?
2: So lots of them, and it really depends on what the situation is. Uh, So first, we have to know who's on the team. We have to know the individuals on the team. Uh, Then we have to know what the team process is. And that word process is not one of my favorite words, but how is the team currently working? And then we have to see where do we need to align. There's a great model out there called the drexler sibit team model. It's one of my favorite team models. And uh, it really talks about a seven-step process for building or realigning a team And the seven steps vary depending on what's going on. But one is trust building, one is goal clarification, one is roles, R-O-L-E-S, one is debriefing. And they seem quite simple, like, oh, yeah, how hard is that? But just the process of goal clarification, Chris, can really be complicated. Uh, Again, I spent a lot of time in East Africa, but I do a lot of work with the government here in D.C., And I remember someone in the Navy once said something to me that has stuck with me. And what this person said was that even if you're just one degree off, you end up in Madagascar instead of Kenya. (laughs) And if you know your geography, they seem close enough, but they're actually pretty far apart. And that idea is so crucial to just goal clarification. What are we doing? What exactly are we doing? What are the steps we have to take? What are we measuring out? That hardly gets discussed. And then our roles. What are our roles? Or who's doing this and who's doing that? And how committed are you? And how much time can you give? That hardly ever gets discussed. And so then it's Anne did this and Chris did that and Jose did this. And they're stepping on my toes and do something about it. Well, you know what? Anne, Chris, and Jose all thought they were doing the right thing but they all were just two degrees off each other when it came to the goal, and they were three degrees off in terms of the roles, and that's why we have this mess right now.
1: I couldn't agree more about goal setting. One of the things I think about all the time is we interviewed a long time ago, well, not super long ago, a guy named Dr. Michael Gazzaniga, and a brain scientist, I don't need to go in the background, but the guy knows his stuff, and after seeing a million brains and dealing with them, He basically said the brain is designed primarily to do one thing extremely well, and that is uh, set goals and accomplish them. So or or accomplish goals that you have set. But if you don't set the right ones or you don't really do it purposefully, it will find goals to do and tackle for you, and they might not be the right ones.
2: Mm -hmm. Great. Great. Love that one.
1: And it's just so many people, I think, miss that message. So Uh, Goal setting is a big one. Another thing I know you talk about is motivating employees. And that's something I am extremely interested in for a number of reasons. One is we have a fairly disengaged workforce. Do you agree with that, uh, given kind of the research and whatnot? And if so, uh, what do you think is the cause of that?
2: So I agree. The research is very clear. Up to 70% of our workforce is disengaged, and uh, about 20% of that is actively disengaged, Chris, where they're actually sabotaging. Wow. So it's, it's a crisis. There's no doubt about it. So only 30% of organizations, all organizations, when you look at the research, uh, have a workforce that is engaged. And you can have it within an organization as well, where one team is engaged, and one team is disengaged, and one team is actively disengaged. So absolutely, it's true. And then the, the question is, okay, so what do we do about it? I'm a bit of a metric geek. You can actually measure that. You can actually measure using algorithms and figure out how much is it costing organizations. I'm working with an organization right now, and their level of disengagement is costing them $26 million a year. When you look at the, the disengagement level, the productivity loss, the attrition, all that kind of stuff, it's costing them $26 million. So that usually catches leadership's attention. That's usually catches the board's attention like, okay, let's figure out what to do with this. So then the question is, well, what do you do with it and how do you do it? Well, I hate to disappoint any listeners, but it's not you know a one-stop thing. There's going to be lots of different things you have to do, and it usually will take two to three years to turn the ship around, to turn the organization around. Um, but it is possible. usually it has to start with leadership at the top, right? They have to be committed to it. Uh, you also have to really look at the root cause and do some root cause analysis, like what's really causing this. And there's going to be lots of reasons, and then you have to prioritize what are you going to go after first. Um, but it is very possible to do programs that are called, you know, you engage you or things like that to say, you know what, yes, I get it leadership's not where you want it to be. And yes, I get it that the productivity is not where you want it to be and therefore you had to lay some people off. Like I get that your environment may not be the best environment that you want to work in as an employee. However, I also know that there are ways that you can motivate yourself despite the swirl around you. And that's the work that we do is to help people start to engage themselves regardless of the swirl, as well as the same time working with leadership so that they can minimize the swirl and the distraction so people can really be at their best.
1: How much of the engagement versus disengagement do you think is a function of the individual? I mean, how much does the individual have to own when it comes to I'm at work and for some reason or another, I don't like it, uh, you know, things like that. I I mean, I'm trying to figure out I've never thought of this idea before because personally, I don't like big business. So, um, I, you know, it's it's had its issues with me. And so I always want to blame it on them, but I'm trying to be more, you know, mindful of myself. So, how much is up to the employee?
2: You know, I'm not sure I'd put a percentage on it. I wouldn't say like 50 50, but it's a lot. It is absolutely a lot. Uh, and if the, here's the thing that I find mind boggling Gallup does this study every year and looks at engagement. But then they also look at the cost of disengagement, not just at work. And I gave that $26 million number. That's at work. But the research is really clear that when someone is disengaged at work, they have a higher percentage in terms of obesity, blood cholesterol, uh, blood pressure, uh, more accidents. I mean, it is crystal clear that it bleeds over into the rest of their life. Even if people say, oh, I compartmentalize, and I actually just heard this today. I compartmentalize. I don't take my stress home with me. Well, maybe you don't in the terms of you don't like yell at your children or yell at your partner. However, it is impacting you physically and medically. And so what I say to people is, look, even if you can't change the leadership around you, don't you just want to be healthier? Don't you just want to maybe perhaps feel a little bit better in terms of your relationships, your health, your well-being, your sleep? And if so, let's look at your own engagement. Yes, I get it. Leadership has their work to do. But back to what you're saying, Chris, you are responsible for your own engagement. And that bleeds over into your health, whether you realize it or not.
1: Well, I want to talk about that. This this is kind of my shift into the individual, because I know you know, one of the things we share is we both trained at Coach's Training Institute. I know uh, just from our brief conversations, a lot of what you focus on is kind of the individual or behavior change. And like you said, I mean, you want people to grow. Um, How do you incorporate that into your business? Is it, do you you work directly with individuals or only uh, companies? Because then I want to know, then I'll kind of know where to go next with this. But I was wondering if you do work specifically with individuals and, and how that looks.
2: Absolutely. I work with individuals. Sometimes I'm not a right fit and I'll say, let me find a better person for you. But absolutely, it doesn't have to be just a, a leadership team. So I can work with an individual. I often do a lot of what we call team coaching. So we're, we're coaching around a whole team. Mm-hmm. Uh, group coaching, which is different, although it sounds the same. You're, you're coaching around a group. Uh, but sometimes you just have to start with one individual who's willing to make the trickle, start to make the ripple, and then go from there. And it's what we call an intrapreneur instead of entrepreneur. It's an intrapreneur. And that intrapreneur role is hard, right? Because you feel like you're swimming upstream. And so oftentimes entrepreneurs will come to me and say, you know, I, I really think I could change things. I really think that I have this, but I know that I'm not going to get any support. Mm. Can, can you help me figure this out?
1: What do you find the biggest block to individuals who won't take action? What, what is the biggest block to them, if there is one? I know that's a very large question.
2: <laughs> um, I would say it's a belief, some kind of belief system that they don't need to change, that there's no reason to change, uh, that everything is going great, and they really don't need to put in any effort. Uh, I can work with just about anybody Uh, as long as they see that things can get better, whether it's for themselves, their family, their health, the organization, whatever. But when someone says, I'm, I'm good. I don't need to change. There's nothing wrong. That's a pretty big block to work around.
1: Hmm. I, although sometimes I feel like that would be nice. I'd love to think there was nothing wrong. Now, maybe, (laughs) I mean, maybe that would just be me being ignorant, but at least I could get out of my head for a minute. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) so belief system, changing belief systems, this is something I want to get into. And what do you, what are the first steps? So, So let's say, because everyone out there, especially people that are intellectually just curious, they want, there's something they want to change. They want to make better. I think it's the nature of being human. We strive for more and it has gotten us some amazing things. So what are the steps or, or where do you start if you're going, there's something I want to change and I just don't know how?
2: So I am a big fan of starting with language because I do believe that our thoughts create words and our words create actions. And I think a lot is inherently said without realizing it in our language. So when we talk about beliefs, I often say, well, let's talk about behaviors. Let me just give you a quick example. So lots of times someone will say, Anne, I want you to be more organized. And I say, okay. Because we think we both know what that means. And I think that means that you want me to come to every meeting 15 minutes early. So I come to every meeting 15 minutes early and I'm really proud of myself. And then a couple of weeks later you say, Ann, I told you to be more organized. You're like, I was, I've been to every meeting 15 minutes early. And like, oh no, no. I meant I wanted you to have an agenda ready and speak up at every meeting. Well, why didn't you say so? <laughs> Right. Right. And so belief language is language that you hear all the time in organizations. It's easier to say, it's faster to say, it's quicker, but it requires less thought. Behavior language is language that takes more words, it takes a little bit more thought, and that is what creates the change. Because if we all think we know what being organized or being a team player or being a stellar star means... We're not actually going to change behavior. But if you say, Ann, I want you to stop rolling your eyes, I know what that means. If you say, Anne, I want you to stop being rude, I don't know what that means. Mm-hmm. So I think if we begin with our language for ourselves and for others, that will help. There's an expression I say all the time called W-D-T-L-L. What does that look like? So when someone says, hey, do I want you to stop being so rude, what does that look like? And oftentimes they'll be like, what are you, what are you being smart? I mean, everybody knows what root is. I'm like, well, humor here. Like, oh, well, I want you to stop rolling your eyes. Okay, that I can do. That I can take care of. And so if we as colleagues, as teammates at our community and our homes can just start using more behavior language and communicate that instead of belief language, we would go a long way at actually changing behavior.
0: Do you love books but find that you never have time to read them? Well, Audible.com has the perfect solution. Get audiobooks and listen to those books you've been meaning to read while on the go. At the gym during your commute, Audible.com provides over 250,000 titles from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters, entertainers, magazine and newspaper publishers, and business information providers. Their app is free and works on iPhones, iPad, Android, and Windows Phone. You can also download and listen on your Kindle Fire and over 500 mp3 players. And unlike a streaming or rental service, with Audible, you own your books, so you can access your books anytime and anywhere right from your smartphone. Audible.com also has the great listen guarantee. If you decide you don't like the book you chose, no worries. You can exchange any book you aren't happy with for another title anytime, no questions asked. Maybe you want to check out our recent guest, Anne's book, Managing the Unmanageable, How to Motivate Even the Most Unruly Employee. Or perhaps you want to check out past guest, Brene Brown's The Power of Vulnerability. And just for listeners of Smart People Podcast, Audible.com is offering a free 30-day trial membership. Go to audible.com slash smart to start your free trial today. Again, show your support for Smart People Podcast and get a free 30-day trial at Audible.com/smart, and now back to the episode. How do we do that internally, in a,
1: in a way that supports our personal goals? So I know, you know, I can absolutely see it in terms of when, as you were mentioning with that example, when other people say something, and you really have to get clear on expectations and and get rid of the assumptions. But a lot of what happens happens internally, and no one ever sees it. So, and, and by the way, I'm a huge fan of the, you know, uh, thoughts create, uh, you know, I, I look at it a little differently, but I think you said thoughts, words, actions. Was that it? Yes. So, um, similar ideas. So it starts with the thoughts. How do we change those?
2: Well, I'm going to answer it one way and we might get into a larger discussion. So people say to me all the time and, and I say to myself, oh, I want to be more successful. And then you wonder six months later why you're not more successful. Well, what does that look like? Well, it means I want two new clients, or it means Uh, I want to write a book, or it means – so oftentimes, we'll do it to ourselves, Chris. We'll – oh, I I want to be um, more relaxed. Well, what does that look like? Does that mean you want to go to the beach six weeks a year, or does that mean you actually want to stop working at four o'clock? So if we can't even define it for ourselves, no wonder we don't hit our goals, and we certainly can't then communicate it to our team in terms of, you know what, it's really important to me for being more relaxed so that I can be more productive because research actually shows that six-hour workdays are more productive than eight-hour workdays. <laughs> yes. So I'm going to leave at uh, four o'clock from now on and I will do whatever I need to do. If If people don't know that, how can we support each other in behavior change?
1: You know, I had one of those aha moments right there because when you said – Well, if you say, I want to be more relaxed, again, what does that look like? I really like that. I'm probably going to take that from you and utilize it in my own own life, by the way. (laughs) Um, That is actually an example from my life. I said, you know, I want to feel more relaxed. Well, first I started with, I want to be more relaxed. And then I think I got to, well, I want to feel it. And what I realized is it wasn't necessarily a function of the external world. A lot of it was things I had to deal with internally, you know, and the talk track's going on in my mind, and I'm, I'm constantly worrying, well, what are other people thinking, and how can I be a benefit to them and please them and get them to like me and blah, blah, blah. And, and so what you were saying is get really clear on this notion, and, and, and that way you have something to look at and take action towards.
2: Yes, it's very hard to take action toward a belief because it's so amorphous and there's no detail to it. It's very easy to take action on a specific, measurable, I'm leaving at four o'clock or I'm spending three weeks at the beach or whatever it is.
1: Do you have any, let's do a little coaching here, but do you have any um, exercises that people are like, okay, got it. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. There's this, this thing that's been bugging me. I want to have more money, get a new job, you know, change my relationship, lose weight. I mean, the list goes on and on. Um, do you have a, a, a process to maybe move from that thoughts and to, to the words and things like that?
2: So I'm embarrassed to say, it's just, what does that look like? And you ask it 10 times. Ah. Uh, so I want to, I want to be more relaxed. What does that look like? And usually they look at you like, what are you stupid? And you're like, (laughs) you're like, I'm just, I'm just play with me here. You know, what is it? So let's do it real quick, Chris. So, (laughs) so what does that look like? Which part? (laughs) You want to be more relaxed. You want to feel more relaxed. Ah,
1: What does it look like? Oh man. This could take a while. What does it look? What it, you know what it looks like? No, no, no. What it looks like to me is the first thing I would say is uh, a sense of calm and peace in the, the choppiest or smoothest of waters.
2: Great. So what gives you a sense of
1: calm and peace? Oh, boy. For me, you know, one thing I've been actually thinking about a lot recently is my environment. And by that, I mean, where am I working? Where am I? walking. Where am I? Where am I on a daily basis in terms of literally where am I? That's mm-hmm. that's one for me.
2: Yeah. So we're going to, have to do one more and then we'll end. So sure. what is one thing that you can do to make your environment more calm?
1: Plants in my office. Great. Seriously.
2: So yeah. Perfect. So we've just gone from, I want to be more relaxed. to so I want to feel more relaxed to plants in my office and three questions you now have behavior that you can move forward on and feel like, yes, I did it.
1: I love that. I really do. Because look, all of those thoughts have been dancing around in my head. And it's not like we talked about this in advance, obviously. Um, but it's a thought that I think, why haven't I really done it yet? And, and in in my wife's credit, I mentioned it one time to her and she did put a plant in my office. I've, I've been in here for over, I don't even know. I mean, this one for over a year and I have never put a plan in my office. <laughs> so I don't yeah. know. Maybe I just need to tell her what I want more often. <laughs> Maybe that, that's a side note, but no, I, I hope that people really, um, see how that can work because I, I agree with you. I think that's a very, pat, uh, you know, uh, purposeful and actionable thing to do. I, I want to also ask you about this idea of journaling. And if you want to get into kind of how you utilize it in your business, I mean, it's it's really fascinating.
2: Sure, I'd love to. So I'm a big, big fan of journaling. And I use that term loosely in terms of somehow to get the stuff out of our head that swirls and clouds and fogs and get it in front of us. And so what does that look like? Does, does that um, it doesn't have to be journaling, it could be Play-Doh, it could be coloring, it could be painting, it could be making music. But getting this stuff out of our head, when it's in our head, it's so hard to make sense of it and do something with it. When we can actually see it in writing or a painting or ask, what does that look like? Then it's like, oh, that's what I have to do. So we've created a platform called Work Pace Learning. You learn at your own pace at work. And basically, it's a way to learn online through 6 of the 7 different learning styles. Adults learn in 7 different ways, and we hit 6 of those different ways, auditory, visual, intrapersonal, interpersonal, etc. And part of that is journaling. So instead of just watching a video and learning about how to make soap or how to be a better leader, you're actually reading a little bit, watching a video, listening to one of your podcasts, writing, practicing and putting it together and it's that writing piece or that journaling piece that really is almost the pivotal moment for many people. They're like, oh, come on, how hard can this be? Anne wants me to do this assignment and then they start writing and it just starts to come out. The whole group, the group is usually 10 to 12 people, sees that, they help each other, they support each other and then we wrap it all up with a phone call. And for me, that type of learning is learning that really changes behavior because they've written about it, they've practiced it, they've seen it over a six-week period. By the time we're done at the end of the six weeks, you know, they're certainly not masters, but they certainly have it under their belt and feel comfortable using it at home in their community at work.
1: Can other people in the group see their journal?
2: Yes. Well, you have a choice. You can make it public or you can make it private. Mm. Uh, so there's always a course facilitator. So you at least have to show the course facilitator. Uh, But we've been doing this for almost three years now, and I think only once has anybody ever not shown it to the group. Maybe the first time it's to the coach only, but after a while because they get so much support from the team and from the group that they're with. And we try to make the groups like one person from marketing, one person from IT, one person from legal, a really variety in terms of how people see the world. So when someone's dealing with someone, Someone from marketing might say, look at it this way. And someone from accounting uh, might say, look at it from this way. And so they realize the benefit of posting it public. And public, again, is just to that group. It's not to the whole world. And they learn from each other more than they would actually learn from the facilitator.
1: And I bet you get a different level of authenticity from, from that uh, medium than most others. Because people can really spend some time in their head, then get their words out, and then feel like, you know, kind of protected in the group, but it's not as almost invasive as a face-to-face, which can feel confrontational.
2: Especially for introverts, Chris, you know, that face-to-face live training really puts introverts at a disadvantage, just the way that they process and they learn. So this way the introverts get their time, they can think about what they want to write, they can write, they can edit. And then we have the group phone call. And so at that point, they're feeling comfortable and safe to share. And the extroverts get their time to talk because extroverts talk to think. And so they need that outlet to actually think and figure out what they're thinking.
1: I, I, I crack up because my brain doesn't work unless my mouth is moving. Like <laughs> I mean, I, I, especially especially when it comes to anything idea generated or, and man, my wife is so different. I actually, I just bought the book Quiet. Uh, at, at a friend's recommendation because I wanted to understand myself, like, wait, there's other people out there that when I talk, they're just like, ah, like tone it, tone it down a bit. <laughs> I, I just crack up when talk to think like, yes, <laughs> I love that. Yes,
2: Yeah. And I would recommend another book called The Introvert's Advantage. It's another great book. Quiet's uh-huh. fabulous. And then there's another one called The Introverted Leader's Advantage. And I recommend it for both introverts and extroverts. Introverts get to read about themselves and say, oh, I'm, I'm not the only crazy one out there because in general, our society favors extroverts over introverts. Mm-hmm. And it helps the extroverts understand the introvert mind.
1: That's great. I'm definitely going to look into that. What would you consider yourself? Are you introverted or extroverted?
2: I'm actually right on the border. When you look at the the assessment, I'm right on the line of I and E. So I can be extroverted up to a point, and then I need some quiet time.
1: When you say assessment, you're referring to Myers-Briggs?
2: Yes, the Myers-Briggs assessment. Do you have any
1: other assessments that you use, have used, like, don't like?
2: Oh, my gosh. We use assessments all the time. Um, I mean, there's DISC, D-I-S-C. It's different. It measures different things. It's much more about work, whereas Myers-Briggs is more kind of about overall who you are. DISC is a good one. TILT is a good one, T-I-L-T. That's more of a 360 in terms of you get assessed by other people, but I like the assessment criteria that they're using. Um, Enneagram, very popular, very popular. What was that last one? Enneagram, it's E-A-N-E-A-G-R-A-M, I believe. Um, very popular, especially on the West Coast. It's a number system. Um, so there's lots of them. And, and here's my, my feeling about all of them. They're all great, right? And they all need to be debriefed. Mm-hmm. What I mean by that is often I say, oh, I'm a, if you're familiar with Myers-Briggs, I'm an ESTJ, mm-hmm. and that's just the way I am. That's not the point of these assessments. (laughs) The point of these assessments is not to go sit in your little corner and be proud that you are a D if you're DISC or you're a 9 if you're Enneagram or whatever. The point of these assessments is to understand who you are, understand who's around you, and figure out how to use both of those to leverage the strengths of both. But oftentimes people just take the assessment online or something, and then they're like, okay, that's who I am. Deal with it. Like, no, 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 no. So any, any assessment is great. Just make sure that you actually debrief it afterwards.
1: Self-awareness. That is yes. like all I can say, self-awareness. People who are not <laughs> self-aware, I just, I don't know what planet you come from because <laughs> however, again, it goes back to that. Sometimes I wish because, uh, you can fall on the over aware and that can stifle you a little bit. Do you actually, do you ever, do you agree with that? Do you ever run into that? Someone who's too aware? Yeah, too too aware of their own actions, their self, and that can be uh, detrimental.
2: Absolutely. It's almost paralyzing because yeah. you, you can just watch what's going on almost in slow motion. <laughs> um, and so you have to be able to turn it down a little bit.
1: Any recommendation on how to turn that down? Because I'm sure, look, if I were to leave people here, they'd be like, wait, wait,
2: wait, wait, that was me, you
1: <laughs> jerk.
0: So. <laughs>
2: Um, so 360, 360 assessments are great assessments. You don't have to buy an expensive tool. You can just do it with SurveyMonkey. But oftentimes we have a blind spot, right? We just call it a blind spot because we don't see it. We don't know it. Um, and so a 360 will help us see if it's on a team. You can also do it in your community, et cetera, to say, you know, four out of the five people you work with are saying that maybe it'd benefit to turn it down. That's some pretty solid feedback. Um, and then you can go and turn it down. But so, any kind of feedback, someone you trust, someone, uh, again, your place of worship, your cause that you're with, you know, asking for that honest feedback can help you get that blind spot. And then once you know that blind spot, then you can do something about it. But it's hard to do anything if you don't even know you have that blind spot.
1: Absolutely. I love that. Thank you Thank so you. much for being on the show. And I know you're not much of a self promoter, but. You know, people are going to want to to hear more from you. For example, I'm going to do a little promoting. Uh, you write a lot on Huffington Post, and one of the articles I recently read that I enjoyed was about different generations, and specifically, this one is called "Gen Z and the U.S. Workforce: Five Things You Should Know." And I just liked it because, oh my God, you're so right! Like Gen Z is here, and I'm a a, a millennial sort of. I I, I group myself in that, but um. And, and like, we're not the newest kids on the block anymore. So I, I recommend everyone just Google that and you'll find it. But where else can they go? What are you doing? What's your website? Tell them about you.
2: Sure. So I'm going to spell my last name because it's hard to spell. So my website is my name, annelayer.com. And that's A-N-N-E-L-O-E-H-R, annelayer.com. And if you just Google anything close to that, my name will pop up. Um, and happy to be of service, whether someone's looking for a keynote, whether they're looking for a leadership development program, which can be anywhere from six months to 10 months, uh, whether they want to read in addition to Huffington post, I write for fast company, uh, anything like that. You can get my book, uh, there's videos, whatever you need in terms of talent development, happy to be of service.
1: Fantastic. Well, and again, thank you so much. Thank you for the extra time. I apologize for going over, but I'm not
0: surprised by it because I knew I I had a lot to ask you.
2: (laughs) Thank you so much.
0: Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Anne Lair. If you're new to the podcast, welcome to the community. Please head over to iTunes or Stitcher. Leave a rating, review, and comment over there. It really does help out the show. It helps us grow. It helps us get great guests. And it's just a quick and easy way to help support the show. If you're looking for other ways to support the show, you can always use the Amazon link located at smartpeoplepodcast.com/slash Amazon. Any purchase you make through that link will come to no cost to you, and we'll get a nice little kickback from Amazon. And it really does help keep everything running here at Smart People Podcast. If you'd like to reach out to the show, please shoot us an email at smartpeoplepodcast at gmail.com or message us on Twitter at smart people pod please don't forget to support our amazing advertisers we've got a lot of great stuff coming up and we will see you all next week